Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I'm here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Yo, yo, yo. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane. Yo, yo, yo. You feeling good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is uh, actually part one of our, our Coachella episode where you're going to hear the first batch of all the interviews we did while we were out there uh, in uh, Southern California. You got it. The desert. Um, but first of all, this episode is actually sponsored by Top Man, Max and Shane. Uh, you can shop new jeans from Top Man with eight essential fits from skinny and slim to straight and new wide leg. Uh, Top Man hooked us up with like a lot of cool stuff for this trip. We look so cool. We got so many compliments. <laughs> it was almost embarrassingly cool though. What, why? Cause I don't know. It's nothing's funny about looking so cool. That's true. No, <laughs> people loved your bandana shirt from Top Man. I know, it yeah. Cool. I never stopped wearing it after I started getting some compliments. And also, for now. our Kells fans who follow us on social, they was like, where'd you get that jacket? Where'd you get that jacket? Came from Top Man. You know, credit to those guys for hooking us up and making us look fly. You can check out what we're wearing, too, on Much's Instagram. I think we posted some stuff on ours. Like, are we going to be on billboards or anything? Like, we <laughs> we got a big photo shoot. Well, honestly, like, all those shirts that I got from Top Man, that, like, the cool thing is, it's like, you get them because you're going down to Coachella, and it's like, they're setting you up. But then it's like, I'm grabbing stuff because I'm like, I'm this is my summer shit. I'm, like, literally taking this all back, and these are going to be my summer shirts going forward. Yeah, I was trying to, like, joke it up and get really flamboyant clothing for Coachella but now I realize I'm just a flamboyant guy like I just like all that stuff <laughs> oh of course yeah so yeah thank you uh to top man for hooking us up with all that stuff uh Coachella was great today on the show we're actually uh from that batch of interviews we did over those those two or three days we are talking to local natives we're talking to tennis and we are talking to blossoms tormates of the Arkells blossoms that's right they mm-hmm. came in I, I felt like there's a lot of mutual uh hugging and sort of friendship between you two it was very cool getting to talk to Blossoms because we did about five dates with them around Coachella and we never actually really hung out with them at all when we were actually on tour. So the, the podcast was actually an opportunity to get to know them a little bit because we like, like each other, but we just hadn't had a chance to like sit around. So yeah. it, was, it was nice. All right, we're going to get to those. Um, and if you want to hear about some of our experiences in Coachella, you can go back and listen to The Dessert in the Desert. I think there's part one, there's part two. iTunes, obviously, if you're listening to this now, you can then go back and listen to Dessert in the Desert from Coachella. Speaking of festivals, big thing's been in the news is Fire Festival. This uh, big festival that happened uh, down in the Bahamas. My uh, baby. That's a Ja Rule impression. Yeah, ja, that was good. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, ja Rule and this uh, fella, I can't, I'm blanking on his name. He's right like a now. 25-year-old like business mogul dude. Mover he invented an app or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they put together this huge festival. There's, uh, you know, they kind of got a lot of influencers like uh, Kylie Jenner and um, Bella, Hadid. Bella Hadid to like sort of tweet about it, Instagram posts. Well, they start in an ad. A and very well. Yeah, it's like a like a minute forty ad where you see. Yeah, the they oversold jet. it a little bit. It's, it's, like, like, it's like the ultimate fantasy. They can didn't be have yours. Any, they, they didn't I, have I, I, wa- I knew what happened, and I still wanted to go. The ad was so good. <laughs> like, I want to be there. You buy tickets the next year. Yeah. Yeah. it's actually happening next I, year. I, well, according I don't know, to them, they're being sued for hundred million now. So who knows if that happens? Yeah, you know, it's like when a restaurant says close for renovations, and you just know they're not actually going to. Wendell Clark's. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, I'm waiting to see that thing reopen. So the reason this has been such a sort of a big story and I think people have enjoyed it so much is because really the only people that could go down to this festival are probably like wealthy, you know, the kids of wealthy people, millennials that either have, you know, been lucky enough to earn enough money at a young age or they're spending their parents' money to go down to this sort of weekend of luxury. They get down there. It's like, you know, they said it looked like a, uh, like a, like a rescue zone or like a hat, you know, it's tense. It was cheese sandwiches. It was nothing like this. <laughs> amazing ad. Like people compared it to uh, the movie Mad Max, <laughs> <laughs> which would seem like kind of fun though. 
though? If you're just surrounded by all these like young, good-looking you, people, not if you spent like twenty thousand dollars to Here's go. Here's the thing: we just went to Coachella, and Coachella is beautiful, and it is like one of the most well-run festivals in the world. But I feel like all those beautiful people, if we were like on some weird gravelly area with like, you know, the winds were soaring and like, it looked like the apocalypse was like about to happen. Like people would not be in such a good mood like they were at Coachella because the grounds at Coachella are spectacular. The grounds at Fire Festival were like, you just see like random cords running along the ground, like in catering. It's just like every part of it was poorly put together i think the reason that people are enjoying it so much is because it's really sort of a victimless calamity you know it's like (laughs) the people that were inconvenienced it's almost kind of it's a little bit enjoyable oh yeah i mean there's a great tweet that said like uh, fire festival has done more to the one percent than the democrats (laughs) (laughs) that was really good like do you think like ja rule is ruined by this or do you think it's good press because no one knew i don't know if ja rule was really cooking before this (laughs) well you think ja rule yeah was sort of a cartoon character in 2017 he definitely lost cred this i think has sort of sunk him like if there was any sort of if he was attempting to have some sort of like credibility in 2017 on like a cultural level like in the way p diddy is like nobody takes p diddy seriously as a rapper but he's like still kind of a mogul he was fashion he's sort of like he gets invited to the met gala if if ja rules trying to like assert himself into that like an area of the culture he has done he's not gonna ever so no that. chance for resurgence no, at this point no chance but actually the one thing that i thought about was you know sometimes our cows will get a gig offer from ja rule from ja rule <laughs> here's a question they end up somehow going through the fire festival again next year they say, they say <laughs> you guys get an offer you you play it? i think it's just good publicity at this point well they're making <laughs> the tickets free they say oh, for next year for so anyone that had a yeah. ticket for oh okay had a ticket. so but our cows sometimes will get a like a festival offer for like something like random in North Bay or like some like camping festival in Collingwood or something like that. And our agent, and sometimes the money will be actually okay, but our agents will be like, look, we don't know this promoter. They've never done this before. It seems kind of disorganized. And that's where your agents really come in. If the money's right though, will you do anything? <laughs> no, no. Well, that's the point. Is that the agents are usually pretty good at sniffing things out and going, "No, this isn't a real thing," or you got to be careful. Because actually, one time we did do a festival with you guys. It yeah. was it was before the Grand Ben show. We did two gigs that I remember. weekend. Was, yeah, so we we were in a band called San Sebastian, and we'd kind of done a run of gigs together. Yeah, and we ended up on this festival. I'm doing air quotes right now together. At, yeah, at a place called like Country Camping or Country something. Country Camping, and literally, so we played like the headline set at this campsite, like somewhere <laughs> outside of London, Ontario. It was a very sort of hillbilly affair, uh, and I was walking off the, the like we finished the set. I witnessed walking this. off the steps, like and and the the steps weren't attached to the stage, so I hit the first step going down, and then the whole staircase just fell and hit the ground. I fell down with it, and I was like. My legs were definitely broken. But then I just happened to like fall in between the steps and I was totally fine. I walked wow. away with like hardly a bruise, but it was one of those things was like, it totally collapsed it, and everybody, like I saw it and everybody was like, oh shit. Max like, is, you actually witnessed it. I saw it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we were like, we're going to sue these guys. Obviously they have no money. Nothing ever happened. But like, that's the kind of thing that you try to avoid by not signing up for rinky dink festivals. Now the amazing thing about this festival is like, and, like, they, you know, had Blink-182 playing. Like, the headliners were like, Disclosure, like, internationally acclaimed headliners who were probably demanding, I mean, Blink-182 would probably get a million to two million dollars for that gig. Yeah. And 
they clearly fooled Blink-182. Like, they fooled everybody. <laughs> well, just, have you seen the ad? Uh, yeah, I know. That's that's pretty pretty yeah, Blink-182 just watched the ad. I'm like, yeah. I want to go there. <laughs> well, they backed out the day before, though, still. And there yeah. was rumors that the bands knew they were going to back out. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a bunch of weird stuff going on with this thing. So that's how not to do a festival. Coachella, that's how you do a festival. And, I mean, getting back to Coachella a bit, it's like... That's something that I wouldn't have done. And, you know, you hear people all the time, you know, there's, I, you'd see girls on social media and they're like, oh, cello, like I, I, every year it's like my thing. And I'm always like, mm, okay. And then you go and you experience, and Shane and I were kind of talking about this one night after like sort of a long day of doing interviews and running around the festival. It's, one, it's just like a really well done festival. I mean, there's not a speck of garbage anywhere. It's like on the polo ground. So it's like really fancy. Everybody there like looks great. It's definitely like a richer crowd and you kind of feel like you're part of this, I don't know, 1% or whatever the hell it is. Cause got to have money to go to this festival essentially. Uh, and something I never would have done, but getting to do it through the pod, I'm like, Oh, I get it. I get why people treat this as such a big deal. It's not like any other festival. Yeah. It was pretty magical. I don't usually don't buy into the festival hype as you're sort of, that's what I'm kind of getting at. Is it the best festival in the world? You think? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So, I mean, if you're a listener, obviously, uh, getting the chance to go, Start a podcast. Start a podcast. Yeah. Find a way there. But uh, I'm grateful that we got to. It's something we wouldn't have done. And I totally acknowledge that a lot of people will never get to go and kind of like hang out at a festival like well, that. Well, we had the artist wristbands too. We could literally go wherever we wanted. It was pretty magical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Maxie. Yeah. Thank the, you. The, the, the they made it brother. that much more fun for me. Are we doing it again next year? We're doing it again. That'd be awesome. Can we? <laughs> In <Yeah. our> feet, <laughs> yes. If the pod doesn't get canceled, we're going. We're going. Are we going to Oshiega? Yeah, we are going to Oshiega. Well, actually, I don't know that for sure. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't okay. announce that. All right, whatever. We'll Cut bleep that it out. Nah, we'll leave it in. Uh, <laughs> so, the other big thing that happened, should we talk about this? Let's get into it. All right, so we're recording this a day after the Raptors game one of uh, the playoffs against the Cavs. So, a bunch of me and Shane and a bunch of guys that we have worked with over the years at much decided to get together and watch game one. The reason this is important is because during game one and everybody's having drinks and interacting, somehow in our Champagne Boys message group. It's actually my fault. Brings up the Heineken ad. I don't know if you've seen it. Was it was me. I said, hey, Nut, what do you make of this new Heineken ad? Because he's a man of many brands. He loves brands. And I wanted to get his feelings on what he th- thought of this Heineken ad. So this Heineken ad, uh, if you haven't seen it, essentially they take two people with opposing sort of worldviews and um, thoughts on a myriad of subjects, and they make them build a structure together. So they kind of have to work together without knowing the other one's views. They just are sort of working together. They eventually build this bar. And then it's revealed that, you know, if you're a guy that's against transgendered people, he's been making this bar with a transgendered woman. And then they have to decide whether or not they want to have a Heineken together after they've worked to build something together uh, and then got to know each other over this sort of span of time. And it's pretty heartwarming. They all decide to stay and have a beer with one another. Um, And I thought the ad was really effective. So Maxie puts it in the group. Uh, You want to take it from here, Shane? The reason it's important is because we were trying to watch this basketball game and then Shane literally went down a rabbit hole of fighting with everybody (laughs) in the group. Well... It's just Mike D. Okay, like, hold on. Before we get to that, explain. <laughs> you should explain some of the players here. Okay. Because the Champagne Boys in the in our message group, there's there's 20 guys. And depending on the subject matter, people are prone to like... Piping in. Piping. Okay. 
So Max throws in the ad. Someone says, Max, how long did it take you to cry at the ad? Max is like, I was crying right away. You yeah. really liked it. I enjoyed it, yeah. So Dan, who we've talked about a lot, and then Mike D, who plays guitar in the Arkells, both felt that the ad was disingenuous. It's selling a brand. Patronizing. Patronizing. We're all being and, taken and for a ride. It's definitely actors, Yeah, which which just made me mad. Well, well, you're getting hung up on some uh, smaller details. Anyway, so they were saying that. We'll get to you in a second, Shane. They were saying that, so they hated it. Meanwhile... The nut, the nut is loving the. Hey, ad. here's the most miraculous thing: the nut and Shane teamed up. Usually, they're the ones that are going against each other, and they basically teamed up to defend the ad. Mike D and Dan were absolutely against the ad. So anyway, it turned into this whole conversation that probably took place for like an hour and a half during the middle of the game. Uh, so now we'll get it from Shane's perspective. I just feel like it's hard to do anything these days. Like literally, if you do something amazing it's almost a sign you've done something amazing if a bunch of people are criticizing it or if you see ad excluded well if you <laughs> do something very bad it's going to get ridiculed if you do something amazing it's going to get ridiculed really the only safe ground is doing something mediocre that goes unnoticed so <laughs> this ad was so good and so effective like i i cried watching it i would say most people who uh you know, or have a heart would <laughs> <laughs> might shed a tear. It, it was it was really well done. It felt if these are actors, they like here's here's the thing. Some of them are actors for a profession. They they are. And then that's where people get confused. So there's a little, lot of hype. Like these are actors, and some weren't in the ads. They yeah, were? but that that's not to say that they were acting. Actors are still people too, and a lot of actors aren't good. You can't just get any B movie actor to act emotionally. Like, if you see any prank thing on uh, YouTube, you, you know when it's fake. You know when it's real. You, Absolutely. Anyone has the ability to sniff that out. And I'm particularly intuitive at these sort of things. I feel like I could be wrong. But I felt like it was dead on, real, and really well done. So when people put it down, I, I just think of myself too. Geez, like, this is what I do for a living. If I do something really good, it's going to be a bunch of guys slagging on it simply because of brands involved. And like Mike, Mike D, who's your lead guitarist, was saying, uh, oh, the, the message was all world problems are going to be solved if we just sit down and have a beer. The, and it, I don't think the commercial was taking a broad leap like that. It was just saying if we, if we talk to one another, it can help break down boundaries in some small way. Yeah, I'd say both Dan and Mike's views were a little more nuanced than that. And I think what it comes down to more than anything is that like there are some personality types that are just allergic to brands trying to sell like human rights for the purpose of like moving beer shipments. And I understand, I can appreciate if somebody's just like, as soon as that happens, wants to turn the TV off. Um, I guess my question and why I thought it, it was sort of an interesting conversation is what's the alternative? Like, if you're saying beer beer ad should only be like awesome, like I don't know the Dutch team scoring a soccer goal or something, right. like something that's like very apolitical. If you're saying that any brand should just stick to like weird, crazy, like artistic visuals or something like that, or comedy, or like then, people partying, or, or people whatever, partying. Yeah. If that's what you think it should be, then that that's okay. Uh, if you think brands should stay out of that conversation altogether, that's okay. That's that's your opinion. But if you think that there's a little wiggle room, then I think they did a great job of executing an ad that, that encouraged getting to like know someone on a human level. Because ultimately I think when it comes to the prejudices around the world, especially in like say America, most of the time, 
people just don't know the people they don't they they think they hate. And I think this ad was a pretty good example of people getting to know each other and realizing that there's more in common than they think and there's a human inside of that person. And I think that's a nice nice idea. And I and I the thing I put in the group was if this ad was done by I don't know, a nonprofit or some uh you know, a PSA, I don't think people would have any negative reaction to it. I thought, I thought it'd be like, get to know your neighbor. But what's weirder too about uh, Mike D is he likes the Dove ad, which is uh, every every woman's beautiful or whatever. Yeah. Like he likes that. It's just, they're just selling soap. Yeah. Like it's weird he doesn't see the, the that it's the same. I think, okay, I talked to Mike on the way home today about this. We invited him on the pod just we for the record. He was like, I don't want to be the cynical asshole uh, <laughs> on the record. I'll be that in private <laughs> and in the champagne. <laughs> uh, but I think he... I think, if anything, his anger uh, over the ad. <laughs> no, no, no. And I, I say this in, in a way that uh, which we should all have sympathy for and, and understanding uh, about is that he just found it hurtful that the that the minority group or the person or the people that are being prejudiced have to again be subject to these hateful people and have to be the bigger person and have to take the high road and have to be the person that reaches out. And I understand, like, and that is... They're think, being put in a room with their oppressor. Yeah, exactly. Or someone that and doesn't and agree with them. And it's up to them to be the bigger person, despite the fact that they're the minority and they're, be, they're the ones being oppressed. It's an interesting and I, point. And I think, and that is just a very hurtful thing to think about. And and that's, I think, ultimately was the root of why Mike hated that ad so much. But again, but... Like, but let's, I, say, let's say the transgendered woman didn't want to have a beer with that guy because of his views. Exactly, yeah. It could have gone both ways. That would have been fascinating. It doesn't feel as good, right? But like you said, she almost has to be a passive uh, participant. For the ad to work, yeah. For the and ad to and work, of yeah. course, there were scenarios. They only showed really that, that one storyline all the way through. Yeah. You, you guarantee they tried this with a bunch of people and it and just it didn't simply work. didn't work out. And he pointed that out too. He's like, I looked through the outtakes so, you know, with, uh, with, with people who, who didn't get along at all and said, F*** this, I'm out of here. It just makes me scared to do anything, put anything out there. And obviously recently I got burned for attempting something, which I'll talk about. At the dessert, I guess. But okay. That's actually a great <laughs> So I'm hypersensitive about this stuff. That's a natural tease for the dessert. We're going to get to that after these interviews, but we're going to get to these Coachella interviews right now. We're going to have, should we start with local natives, Max? Let's start with local natives. We'll start with local natives, then we'll go to tennis, uh, and then we'll go to Blossoms. What should we say about these artists for people that maybe are just tuning so in? So local natives is a big get. You know, they're a beloved. They were the coolest band, right? Yeah. Like so the so hottest cow band, band. I should say. Yeah, yeah. Their sets were incredible. I saw them both weekends. They did an awesome Kanye West cover that we talked about in the interview. Yep. Uh, they're also the favorite band of our friends AJ and Al, Al, my roommate. And uh, we had a couple special questions for them. I don't know if we're keeping those in the pocket. Oh, we're keeping it. We're keeping it. We're keeping it all. So uh, they were very cool guys, uh, and I've been a big fan of them for a long time. Uh, we also interviewed Tennis, a husband and wife. Ooh, yeah. They that were very cool. They uh, were very cool. They're actually a favorite of my roommate and your brother, Greg. That's Gr- right. Greg was very excited about that interview. And then uh, Blossoms, your British buddies. Yeah, who look and sound like the Beatles to me. Yeah. So we did this in sort of like a media area that was part of like, uh, that backstage artist village that, uh, Shane and I had access to thanks to Max and Shane was there for all of these interviews. And, uh, one of the cool things that this doesn't happen very often, Shane actually got to ask a question in every interview. I tried to ask the stupidest question I could <laughs> be, and because it's so dumb, I feel like it's disarming in a way. And it actually worked because it kept the interview going and it, it, it made it kind of a, just a fun talking point for a bit. And it kind of like when the interview would wrap up, 
I'd ask my question, and then there'd be like three or four more minutes to the interview. <laughs> so I, I, it kind of my plan worked. I thought. Yeah. And my question was. Uh, is Coachella cool? <laughs> so you will hear Shane uh, pipe in with that near the end of every interview. So right now we're going to get to local natives, followed by tennis, followed by blossoms. And then after that, we're going to do the dessert. Talk some more Coachella. Stay tuned. All right, let's jump into this thing. Sweet. Is this all good? This is right all here? good. Cool. I can hear you guys real good. Right, nice. cool. uh, great show, by the way. How did you guys feel about the show just now? Thank you. Great. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I felt really good. Felt like both weekends were were successful. Yeah. Actually, one of those things, like, when you guys do a show where you do two weekends, how much do you change about it going into the second weekend, or do you try to stay pretty true to what you did? It, it's it's funny you ask that. We have a group uh, text chain. I message chat. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's uh, WhatsApp. Because uh, okay. uh, one guy doesn't uh, have an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> You're the guy who's... No, no, no. no. He, he, he's cool. I'll never do that. Okay. Matt, Matt and I are cool. It's uh, Nick who f***s it up. But, um, yeah, so, so we had a long, long, long text chain about switching up the set. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do that. And we went, like, to in a million different directions. And then after, like, 50 texts, we're like, let's stick with the same set. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up coming back to the same spot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, I, I just, think it's, it's hard just because we're playing all the time and you want to have it feel fun and you want to have it feel... Um, it's just we, exciting just try, for us. We're always excited to try new things, try yeah. different yeah. transitions, try different songs we don't always play. Yeah. But we're like, it's two different weekends, it's two different crowds for the most part. Let's, you know, and we felt super solid that, that last weekend. Let's just like stick to what's working. Yeah, so. you don't have a lot of repeats. So it's like people are like, they did this last week. Right, yeah. No one's like, oh. <laughs> Same set. Right, right. No, no. That's the chance. That doesn't yeah. really Same happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, like, if you're doing two nights in a row in at a, in a city, city right. sure. it's a little different. Yeah. But, but right. with, with, like, the festivals like this and ACL is two weekends, well, and, like, whatever is doing, you know, two, two in a row. Yeah. We worked on this set uh, on the show's leading up to the first weekend of Coachella. Yeah. So we were trying to dial it in beforehand. You guys covered Kanye both weekends. Yeah. Um, Kanye West. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's like my favorite tune. I was waiting for the Chance verse, though. I was uh, like, who, who would have volunteered? I started it. Oh, man. We were already a little nervous to be covering that song. He's such a huge artist and, like, we didn't want to step on any toes, you no. know. I, I mean, it can be a sensitive thing, I feel like, in, in, in you know, this day and age to cover. Um, I mean, like, he's like a hip-hop dude, and we're a bunch of, like, white dudes from Orange County. So, like, you know, it's it's it can be it can be tricky. But Are you, we you love, religious at all? I was. Okay. Yeah. See, I, like, love <laughs> Chance the Rapper. Like, he's sure. my favorite. Oh, yeah. And... And he's very Christian. Yeah. And I love everything he has to say, but I'm not Christian at all. But right. I like all of the things he talks about, like praising the Lord. I'm like, I'm all about it. And I, we, we've covered a chant song, too. Oh, oh uh, cool. Same drugs. But Oh, uh, nice. I love that song. That's a beautiful song. I'm, I'm the piano ballad guy. Yeah, me so too. I, that's <laughs> yeah, anything that you can like, sit down at home yeah. and play yourself is oh, sure. awesome. But, uh, but that, that Kanye song is very like, religious. But, uh, right. but it's just a beautiful song. Well, it feels very, very... Um, uh, uh, currently, with with uh, with with where the United States is in, because I know you guys are from Toronto, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, shit is fucking super weird right now, and everyone is very concerned and very, I mean, on on the edge of their seat, waiting for the next crazy thing to happen with you know uh, Trump in office, and so I think that song 
oddly has become some sort of an anthem of 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 promoting peace and promoting unity uh and and so ironically from a guy who is uh kind of an instigator yeah. and and kind of you know always trying to rile people up but but that song really came at such an amazing time right before you know like in the year of the election and then to live on past that uh it rings true right now i think well when something like trump being elected happens and you're watching and you know whether you vote or not and say it affects you negatively you don't like the result or you're like this is going in the wrong direction say you're like a sane person (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was getting at right how do you process that do you kind of like it's it's a it's a step back you go shit like this is happening do you then sort of like uh, try to channel that into music or feel like it's something you want to speak out on or do you kind of prefer to take a step back and observe i think this like this whole time this whole record cycle this is the first time we've really ever attempted to kind of step into that world a little yeah. bit because we I mean, not that we all like wanted to stay hands off but it just well we have been hands off for yeah, but for it, our whole time right. writing music because it's a tricky situation it's sure. a, you know to, to ride that line and to like you alienate fans right you you, you, you close the door on some people and who don't agree especially with how divided everything is now that's like super inevitable that that's going to happen but we all felt so passionately that it's like we have you know whatever this platform is that we we have the, like somewhat of a soapbox we can like say something absolutely and something that we all truly passionately believe in and like so it just felt like a no-brainer to like yeah kind of step into it and kind of have somewhat of a voice yeah, yeah. i feel like the way you did it though was really good because it wasn't your like I'm a Democrat or I'm a liberal. You just said, I appreciate unity and the idea of love and being generous. And that's like, that's a hard to argue no matter what side of the aisle you're on. I know people can still take it in a negative way if they choose to. Yeah. But I thought the way you did it, especially at the end there. uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. Nicely. Because that's what. Well, I mean, the core, the core of it is, is that he, he, there, he really is getting um, to this, this, this spot are, are channeling into this this vibe of there is uh, that it's it's not it's not about party uh, lineations it's not part it's not about like uh, what side you're on there there it's literally it feels very black and white like there is there is someone for uh, banning uh, people coming into the United States but someone who's who's against um, female equality uh, so it's just like all these red flags all these all these things that are just like it's if you're so a person and like a point of pride for them which is a very weird thing yeah it's really strange and they're really getting off on the on being an outsider and 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 just being and i get that that there are politics as usual is very uh tiring and 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 can be something you get super super fed up with very quickly but i mean yeah it became something that didn't feel like oh whether you're a democrat or republican it it you know, it, it's it's a thing that affects everybody. Yeah, absolutely. On your last record, there's photos from sort of all over the world. Can you talk about how you made the record and the mindset of sort of writing and recording in different places? Yeah, we um, we kind of wanted to mix it up a little bit and try to get out of our comfort zone, and, and we end up getting a couple opportunities that kind of thing I think triggered this this desire to want to try to be in different parts of the world and different places and. Um, we basically was it two, 2014 end of the year we got this offer to play a show in Malaysia it was a one off and then we ended up kind of uh, shifting it into this whole like two and a half week long writing trip where yeah. we had 
we had some friends that had a studio in Thailand. We went there for two weeks, and that was kind of kicked off the official, like, writing, recording sessions of Sunlit Youth. Yeah. And it was such a positive experience to kind of be in a totally different world and kind of, you know, ab- uh, absorb that and see what, how that affects the music. And yeah, it's always, it's always fun to, to, to put yourself in a, in a new environment and see how that affects things. Because you, you can never uh, predict how it's going to affect Do you, do you something. have different producers for throughout the record? Or how, yeah, how did that work? Largely, it is co-produced with uh, the student Brian Joseph, uh, who's from... He, he helped engineer and helped work on the... Uh, um, the second Bonnie Bear record. He's oh, okay. on. He's in the Bonnie Bear camp. Uh, okay, cool. And uh, he's really cool. And he's here this weekend. I haven't seen him, and I'm very sad. Brian. <laughs> Brian. He's here yeah, listening. He, yeah, he's like. He's no, like, this doesn't make any sense. You can't hear it. It's gonna be like so far like, after live, Coachella. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, you know, we bounced around. We went to a bunch of different places. But at the same time, LA was still a big part of it. Like we had, we had moved into this new practice, like this rehearsal space. So we kind of made our own. And it felt very comfortable there. And so a lot of it was actually made in L.A. as well. Okay. Um, so that was like a common, that was like the, the common thread throughout, throughout bouncing around to different was parts of the world. Was there any drawbacks to bouncing around? Did you find anything that didn't work, you know? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it really, really fed the, the creative process this time around. Um, I think it pushed us to try maybe more uncomfortable things, yeah. like where we were in, like, Nicaragua, and we didn't have, like, a full studio or a full like normal setup and yeah, we were you know, basically in like a hotel that felt like a hostel because they had like a big community um like open air room where everyone would eat lunch and dinner and it was it's it's really strange it was like this place where it felt weird not to say hello to yeah. everyone there just very uh the opposite of normal life where you're trying to just <laughs> do your thing head down like you know don't bother yeah, anybody you're forced to engage yeah, yeah. right yeah. and 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 they had a they had a makeshift uh yeah. studio but it wasn't something that was was super nice or anything and you know we had to adapt to writing in those conditions or or like being in Joshua Tree where like Ryan and Taylor and I took this writing trip just to write lyrics and we didn't have any instruments there besides like an acoustic guitar um, and so we were just putting ourselves in all sorts of different scenarios to see what would happen. Yeah. So, okay, we got to wrap this up in a minute, but uh, so our dear friends from back home are the biggest local Natives fans, and they've seen you, like, dozens of times. Ian is getting married and wants you to come. He'll pay his... He's got a rich father-in-law. <laughs> oh, Have you done God. any weddings? It's in St. Martin in March. Oh. Oh, sorry, in uh, August. Oh, we just did a wedding, actually. <laughs> was a friend or was it for a rich, rich person? It was a friend of a friend who was a rich person. <laughs> it, it clicked... Uh, it ticked all the boxes. Yeah. Well... We're all friends now, and uh, we have a rich person footing the bill. So if you want to sing their song down the aisle, we'll arrange it. You don't, have to, you don't have to say no now, but think about think it. About okay, it. okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll read the email. Okay. I'll read the proposal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, see, I'll, see, what, I'll see what's the on the email. table. I dig it. All right, we'll yeah. change some emails then. Yeah. And then uh, I think Shane here. Oh, Shane has one question. One second, got to load it. You guys are obviously a very cool band, and Coachella <laughs> is obviously a very cool festival. Or is it? What are your thoughts? Uh, I <laughs> refuse to talk any shit on Coachella. The Coachella is our hometown festival. We've we've been here. I think we were we were here like three or four times before we ever even played. Yeah, oh, really? I remember coming like here in 2007 or something like that, or 2006. Yeah, and like 
we all just like raged all week. <laughs> well, and, I, we we were in the uh, somehow I got to I got uh, conga line started in the uh, Heineken Oasis beer tent. Nice. Uh, and then and then I was. Really into getting drunk and doing cartwheels at the time, so I pass, I did a cartwheel <laughs> and everyone was pumped and then everyone was like, "Do it again, do it again." They, <laughs> they chanted and I can't remember what it was, but I did it again and then I broke my arm. Shit! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so I got up and I like kind of couldn't feel anything and I was like, "Oh my god, I think I really hurt my arm." And we walked outside the tent and talked to this like there was like a security guard, police officer dude. It's like, hey, do you, you know, do you, do you, have you ever dealt with someone who broke their arm? And he's like poking my arm. It's like, do you, do you feel anything? <laughs> Shit. Like, no, I don't feel anything. And he's like, oh, you're fine. I'm like, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then but, six hours later, I'm in traffic trying to get out of the festival, and it's swole, swollen up to like the size of a bowling ball. But to the to the original question, <laughs> we do. I mean, it's like our it's like our hometown festival. So we, you know, we we've, we've all been here a million times as, as fans. And we've now played it three times, and so it feels very special to play. Oh, here. we love it for sure. Yeah, there was there wasn't any uh, yeah, condescension or anything. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know what? We just talked to tennis yesterday, and they oh, nice. they were talking about uh, like how they came as fans and saw like broken social scene back in two thousand. Yeah, I saw broken social scene. And they like did a proposal or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, oh, really? I, I was yeah, yeah. Somebody proposed to their to their significant other on stage, and uh, oh, I remember, I remember. Have you ever done it amazing. before? Uh, we have not. We've done a few. Yeah? Oh, so, amazing. Yeah. Someone actually uh, did one, like, not connected to us. Uh, we were playing Ceilings on the last tour last year, and all of a sudden this, like, pit opened up in the middle of the crowd. Uh, and he, I was thinking, oh, shit, someone passed out or something. Usually and if hospital. a pit opens up, somebody fainted or it's somebody's hurt. No. Yeah, so yeah. we're really someone concerned. We stopped the song. They were pro- yeah, we stopped the oh, song. Oh, shit, yeah. nice. Listen, and, but I'm saying, you guys have so many atmospheric, beautiful moments. Is if you coordinate with, like, the dude, just bring him on stage, keep the... It's like a Friday Night Lights montage. Right, right. <laughs> It'll be amazing. People will lose their shit. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, well, yeah. I'll, I'll talk to all my single friends. I'll try to see if they can find somebody at the Make festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, uh, lastly, because uh, we got the, the couple oh, minutes yeah, okay. to wrap it up... Um, are there bands and artists that you're listening to right now that might, you know, direct the next batch of music that you guys are making? Because each record is pretty different. Like, I feel like there's different influences. Uh, what, who are you listening to right now? Um, I mean, well, for the the most recent record, we 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 just kind of been listening to a lot more hip hop and like electronic yeah. music, and and not not as many. Um, you know, nuclear bands like nuclear family, like where it's like a, a singer, a bass player, a guitarist, and a drummer. Sure. You know, like that kind of stuff isn't um, maybe uh, happening as much these days. I, I don't know. We're just like not listening to a lot of that stuff. But I don't know. Currently, uh, I would. I really dug that Sampha record. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's all about piano ballads. It seems too. I mean, he's got like the couple or whatever. But I, I loved that show. Yeah. I was su- I got super into that. Well, I mean, I've that Bonobo record he oh, yeah. played yesterday. Yeah. So I was pumped to see him. Um, and I've been, been a fan of his for for a long time. So that's uh, cool. I was got pretty into that record. Cool. All right. Well, this is awesome. Thank you guys. This Thanks really... so much for your time. Yeah. No we'll worries. And we'll see you at that wedding in St. Martin. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> see you there. Okay. Yeah. Gee, Matt, you come too, man. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. Well, I, is this part of the interview? <laughs> yeah, we okay. kind of just start rolling, okay. you know.
Are you into podcasts, by the way? Do you yes, guys a podcast immensely. band? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's how we uh, pass time on our road trips. Yeah. What are your favorites? Well, we're all devastated that S Town is over. Oh, how yeah. good was that? Like, it was Too like, good. It, like life changing, actually. A Faulkner novel or something. Like, I did not want it to end. But Do we need to just make this whole podcast about S Town? Has everyone brought I mean, this up? No, no, no. Well, the three of us have listened mm-hmm. to it, but we've been waiting to talk on our show about it because I was still trying to catch up. They'd both listened to it. So we were going to have a big discussion about yeah. it, but we haven't done that yet. So. Uh, but yeah. for me, I'm like more of a coast to coast guy. Like I really like conspiracy theories. They have a podcast, and I downloaded okay. quite a few. I I listen to it secretly because my wife doesn't approve of it. Well, uh, I like it. I just no, I barely you don't like, like it. it. I mean, I like it conceptually, but I it's love so it. boring. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like old dudes talking about conspiracies. And there's like a lot of call-ins. Do you know? It's like oh, do you know really? this? It's like talk radio yeah. kind of like. It a, only airs at midnight. But, oh, that sounds. But they like, have a podcast yeah, form. Yeah. Okay, so you can listen on the road. Did yeah. you listen yeah. to S-Town, though? Yeah, John, yeah. yeah. You said this is what yeah. we agree on. Is yeah, S-Town. that's our common ground. That's where the Venn diagram crosses over. John B. Macklemore bringing people together. Absolutely, fascinating guy. Did you see his suicide coming? Like when. Like, because that's was really of, heartbroken. Yeah, it took me. I was yeah. shocked. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I didn't think he would. Yeah, I We're thought have to cut that for people that haven't heard that. Blithe. Well, I'm just sorry. put it. No, spoiler. don't leave it in. Just put a spoiler on the. Yeah, we'll take it. In. Absolutely, and right. also add explicit in case I suddenly swear a lot. Oh yeah, no, yeah, right. Yeah. Explicit spoilers. Not all the warnings. Yeah. On this podcast, yeah. you can yeah. swear. Okay, yeah. thank. Yeah. Not safe Fuck. for work. Great. All right. Well, let's just get started. Yeah. So, like on this pod, like we've talked to a lot of people, we like to get into sort of the minutia of how people do their work, the mechanics of it, and specifically touring. So, like, for this run, like, you know, around Coachella, you guys are doing dates with local natives, uh, mm-hmm. then Spoon. Mm-hmm. What does your touring sort of operation look like? You know, like, how many crew? How are you traveling? It's so sparse. We're just, like, mm-hmm. the more, I think the more people we add to our crew, the more stressed out we get. Because the person that we'll never add to our crew is a tour manager. Oh, interesting. So, Pat and I run the show, and so, yeah, the more people we bring on, the more little uh, do, birdies yeah. to herd from but for numerous reasons point though but point. we feel like the tour managers is something that like if we we're not connected to yet. our crew and band like intimately and we don't know what everyone's doing and we don't like i don't know monitor that stuff we kind of like freak out not like we're so big we couldn't be we're in a 15 passenger van with a trailer so it's not like still though but i mean know, managing um, all that do you ever find it overwhelming i mean you guys obviously have other duties yeah like, like right now is a, like today is overwhelming yeah with everyone and like how do we get my girlfriend in and where's Ugh. my wristband and whatever and i'm, I'm like tired. Uh, yeah. i want water where's the food i'm like <laughs> i don't know but everyone is amazing. We have a great band. Um, we work really hard to hire people that suit are very, we're like all very adult autonomous humans. Like everyone can get themselves up on time. Everyone can show up where they need to be. Nice. We have like a lot of trust. Um, and we really, really love the people we have right now. We have a small crew, four people on stage. We have front of house merch and that's it. Right now, um, my brother did lights on our headlining tour. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, he had no idea how. We just wanted to bring my brother yeah. on the road, and he learned on the fly, and it was amazing. We're um, totally devaluing, like, a very... He had no idea what he was doing. <laughs> he will admit it openly, yeah. but he, he, like, busted his butt and was amazing, but he we just were like, how can we bring my brother on tour? You're yeah. going to do lights. You two um, are married, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does yeah. that work? Because I can't imagine working side by side with my partner. Is that like I but can't some imagine do it. not 
being with him for all these dates. Yeah. Like, we're going to be on tour for the next two months. Oh, wow. I, I, our bass player is married, and they have an amazing, um, very independent relationship. She knows music is the most important thing to him, and she's a musician as well, and she wants him to play music. It's, like, totally cool with them, and they've worked it out, but Pat and I... We're, I don't know, maybe we're really codependent or something, but we don't like to be apart. So. Like well, there's something to be said yeah. for having, you know, I guess similar interests and being on the same page, meaning like you both agreed to this lifestyle, which is obviously mm-hmm. very unique and not a conventional sort of career. Um, I guess uh, my question would be like, what are the benefits of being married and sort of being, you know, uh, running a business and sort of being in music? And then also yeah. what are the maybe the more negative aspects. Well, we, I mean, we're very similar people. So like we can like address an issue or a problem together and like kind of divvy it out between the two of us to get something done. So that's like the best part is like, we can both see a problem the exact same way and be like, Hey, this is what we should do to take care of it. And like, I'll do this. You can do that. We're both on the same page. Yeah. It's like a profound intimacy basically. Um, and we try to conceptualize it as negotiating two distinct freedoms so even though we're married we really resist the idea of us like blurring into a unit which is why we don't have the same last name and I you know I we try really hard to remember that we're just two separate humans who like live our life in parallel we aren't just blobbing into this amorphous human where we like stop noticing each other's needs or whatever so we're not gonna like wear a zoot suit together (laughs) anytime soon hot american summer style no but we should (laughs) zoot suit the mask remember what you Mm -hmm. carry zoot suits came back when that yes absolutely happening um when you guys play a sort of a a festival like this how do you guys devise a, a set list you know is it sort of are you looking at, you know, Spotify and what sort of... Yeah, yeah we do, actually. Yeah. At the same time, like, we're so worried of, like, people, like, getting, like, bored or, or like, talking over us or we something like that. We try to do the bangers. Not that tennis yeah. has, quote-unquote, bangers, <laughs> but, like, the most driving songs that we do have. Yeah. Um, that's what we usually focus on. Yeah, I we're love not going to f- pull out, like, an acoustic song in the middle of the mm-hmm. set. No. You got 40 minutes to make it yeah. rain. We're just you know? going to bring a reel down here. Yeah, exactly. As much sub bass as we can muster out of your keyboard <laughs> um this last recording that you guys did you did at sea on your boat um we, we wrote, wrote it. it yeah mm-hmm. and then oh, so we you didn't record back. it on, on the water we did now. record it ourselves but we um we did it in a cabin in colorado because we live in colorado and so when we finished the trip and we got the album all wrapped up um we rented a cabin up in the woods and just did it the two of us well, when you're writing on like on a boat or recording in a cabin, I mean, a boat, it's like such an interesting narrative anyway mm-hmm. to write on a boat. Is that something that you think is sort of integral to the process for this record? Or is it sort of just kind of like a, a cool narrative that's like, you know, kind of a fun, easy sort of uh, press release? And I'm always story. curious as a guy in a band who hates figuring out what press releases ought to look like. They suck, man. They're, they're the they're worst. Terrible. And then when I, because when I saw your press release, I was like, oh, that's so awesome because it, it immediately provides it like imagery and a backdrop to the music. And there's like a talking point and I just got envious. But that like, talking point is like such a huge problem too because it like for some people it crosses over into like gimmick territory but uh-huh. for us it's like it's this is our life. Our yeah, talking like, point is real and very It's just been our part of our life from like gets, forever. Yeah. You risk when you make it your talking point which it it's legitimately as and I want people to know that but then it starts to feel yeah contrived yeah. or like a 
And then that it's like kind of hurtful when people get that perspective over like a very real important yeah. part of your life, and people are like, "Oh, that's just for the press release." You're like, "I lived that." Well, like, that's what we were talking about. That's my reality. We were, yeah, we were like, I think like it feels very sincere, but, I, but I'm kind of curious whether it's like if that I comes mean from for the, it to yeah. me. I wrote our bio myself this year because I. Our first album cycle, which was also closely tied to a sailing trip that was life-changing for us, people were getting very, starting to feel like it was really canned and like saccharine and like kind of eye-rolly or something. And I was like, oh, that sucks. And it's, it felt like it was because somebody else wrote it. Um, so I thought at least for this time, this time it will be like more diaristic, like me explaining, like trying to, it's really hard to try and constantly instill the humanity behind bullet points about yeah. your life. And I when haven't you just summarize it I know. and then talk to it in sort of short form conversation. Exactly. So how do you keep it authentic? How do you find that sort of middle ground where it doesn't feel like you're regurgitating the same things or it doesn't become contrived? Well, for the bio, I experimented with writing basically like a journal entry almost and then I had um uh, footnotes that would have those stupid blurbs like band formed in 2000 whatever oh, cool. <laughs> comprised of Patrick Riley and Elena Moore like just like the things that you're supposed to know like way down at the bottom of the page um and then just like a very personal like first person account of like you know where it came from and I felt like that helped a lot and then um I, I mean, and people, honestly, it's different because for us, our band tries to convey the real, like, lived experiences through our songwriting and through our stage presence and everything. Some bands work off of, like, a persona and contrivance and artifice is, like, built into it. Yeah. So they might not have this problem that I have of, like, trying to be the realist me because I don't have, I can't come up with a character of, I don't I'd have love to one. to see a false character. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish I could be, like, a Lana Del Rey or a Father John Misty or something, but I'm, Father John Misty, who knows, Josh Tillman might just be that person, yeah. but it's hard. I feel like it's character, um, but I don't have one. It's just, like, regular old me so i want people to like have a window into my life as much as possible okay so oh. let's wrap it up shane has one question it was originally a two-part question but i'll do both parts because yeah. i already know okay. this will be my favorite part of all of our press today <laughs> <laughs> um how cool is it for you to play coachella and how cool is it for you to be at coachella i don't feel 30 when I'm on stage at Coachella. I don't feel even 32, though I am 30. even though I am 32. Yeah, it's insanely cool. Do you mean 30 cool. as well, or you are 32? I'm 32. Oh. I'm 32, yeah. like 30 so, as well? In yeah. that sense, I feel really cool. Yeah, no, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, we obviously have that same experience. We have the same experience of like sojourning here as like youngsters. He was a senior in high school. I was a freshman yeah. in college. We didn't so know like, each yeah, other. So yeah, we both associate this with like being in high school because that's when we first went here. Was in high school. Amazing. Yeah, so. I came to see Broken Social Scene play. Hey, uh, yeah, uh-huh. nice. yeah. I think at like the same time slot as we have now. And of course, I miss them because I got here too late. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like it would have been great. Um, but we so, both yeah, came here too to see Radiohead yeah. and. Radiohead's playing on the same day as we are. That's so cool. So yeah. it's very full circle at the same time. Last thing, my roommate, Mike's brother, Greg, his lovely girlfriend, Kara, uh, her college band covered uh, Marathon. Oh. Nice. Cute alert. 
Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they were called White Wine. They never played any shows, but they covered that song. Oh and I'm God. trying to get yeah, him to so send the soundcloud. White Wine is so anyway. Well, while we're waiting, so I was going to ask if you're a Canadian. Cause I heard, are you all Canadian? Yeah. All three of us, yeah. yeah. My mom's from New Brunswick. Oh, oh sweet. Yeah, I have dual citizenship. Hey. Um, it's called Lower Brighton. You guys are really Brighton. opening up now. <laughs> it's really, really small. We have to fly into Bangor, Maine and rent a car and drive like three and a half or four hours to get there. She lives right off the St. John's River. Oh, wow. Were you going to say you could tell we're Canadian because of the way we speak? Yeah. That's interesting. Because it's the same way my... It's not like a crazy accent. It's just right, the way right. my mom talks. I used to say tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, and people would be like, that's not how you say it yeah. in elementary school. Tomorrow is like the American <laughs> way. My mom says tomorrow. Um, there's a few other ones that I can't remember right now, but yeah, it's just like a subtle thing. All right, so Mike is the host. We're just going to we'll, jump into we'll this We'll chime in occasionally. That's yeah. Shane back there. That's right. Shane's on the chill. <laughs> on Shane's vibe. <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to start with, uh, it's always interesting when sort of British bands rise to prominence. Uh, can you sort of talk about, I guess, like how the band started and then progressed to this point where you guys are like playing huge rooms at such a young age? Well, we were all in different bands before Blossoms. So I was in a band with a couple of friends from school. I was a big fan. Yeah, Joe, me and Joe. Oh, yeah? But me and Joe were already friends before. Like We've been best friends since we were like 12. But Joe couldn't really play the drums then. And I couldn't play it. Still can't then. really play the drums now. <laughs> I, started, I started learning keyboards and stuff when I was like 12 or something. But only got to like James Bond level. <laughs> and then never to learn anything else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just got out of science for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Doing music lessons. Anyway, so when these bands kind of became a bit stagnant when we were like 19 or something like that we um i was writing some different songs which kind of felt a bit more i don't know well wrote or just a bit more like real songs i suppose you said they're a different vibe that's how you yeah. described to me and i was time. like i was I'd had my first girlfriend and stuff like that. Do you know what i mean so you're actually writing about real stuff and then usually in a band with charlie who's the bass player in blossoms and he has a rehearsal room like in his granddad's scaffolding yard which we could use for free so it wasn't being used by your band because they'd become kind of... Well, so it was, it, it was one of the things that I, I'm really, like, I don't know, very driven. And like, when I, when I have something in my head, I want to do it and I want to do it now and stuff. And I wanted our band, my old band, to rehearse all the time because I think it's dead important. And they weren't really that bothered and, like, a few people, like, quite chilled, like... I'm sure people who've been in bands have had before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you had more drive than anybody. Yeah, you were exactly. on the same page. Do you exactly. know what I mean? So, so you I, need I was, find people. I was a bit like, and then Tom said he was writing these tunes, and Charlie said, and then funnily enough, they both said the name Blossoms to me at separate occasions about another band. So I was just like, you oh. said it was a good name for a band. It's a pub in Stockport, so I went past yeah. it with Joe and was like, oh, it's a good name for a band before Blossoms, and so did Charlie before yeah. I knew Charlie. So I was like, oh, so that's a bit strange. We need to get this going because then we've got this room, and I knew Charlie was just as dedicated as I was. I knew Tom would get dedicated, <laughs> if he, you know, because he's like the, the songwriter, so he, he'd want to do it. And then we like we so we got down and just we knew Josh through Joe used to date Josh's sister. Yeah. Then we used to go to parties at Miles's flat. So over that kind of How old summer, are you guys? 24. 24. 23. 23. I'm 24 next week. Ah, nice. But I, we I was 20 when we started Blossoms, or maybe mm-hmm. 19. I can't remember. But anyway, so quickly. It, as soon as we got together and rehearsed, it felt different to them other bands we've been in. Do you know what I mean? And we made the mistakes in them bands of, say, being given 50 tickets off a promoter, you go and sell them, you but then, then it's only your parents does and that, your does friends. Does that happen over here as well? Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, like, okay. a whole industry. Like, so they'll do shit, battles of the bands yeah, exactly. and shit. Yeah. You so move this many tickets. Yeah. Yeah. We've already bought them. So with, this blo- with Blossoms, we didn't do any of that. We put on gigs for free. 
or just like well, two I, pound on the door, and then we'd put the money back into the. Brand. I used to, I used to look into it loads because I was always like really annoyed by promoters, and especially if we saw like thirty tickets getting nothing back or anything. I was like, what? So I just got in touch with venues on my own, like I missed out promoters. Cut them yeah. out of the middle. Yeah, exactly. And we just like, oh, how much it's high, and it was like. Half the time it was like sometimes it was even free and they kept all the bar. Yeah, they so then we charged money on the door to pay for like this sound guy who was coming in, and then any money we made after that, like, I think our first we actually went on a parking fine we had yeah. outside. But, like, we got paid thirty pound and the fine was thirty five. Yeah. <laughs> and then all the money after that we just like started building ourselves. So we we put on our own gigs because that was literally just. just um, I had so much free time and I was just looking into things like that. And just probably like, drawing out this answer, but, but then yeah, no, basically I mean. it immediately felt different to the other bands we'd been in. So we started doing gigs and people kind of started coming who weren't just our mates, do you know what I mean? They were like mm-hmm. people who were into the that's music. The, yeah, that's developing the developing real fans. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the James change. Skelly from The Coral, who produced our record now, he heard us through someone else <laughs> and got in touch. And, and this would have been... So we started the band properly in like the August of 13 and then by the... February 14th, James got in touch and was like, let's meet up. So we met up, went to his rehearsal room and like jammed in front of him and then that's where it kind of started and then we got a great manager just after that who manages the Stone Roses and um, they were like SJM, in the, which is the promotions company in in the UK who do pretty much every single gig. Mm. So we, they were like the one, you want them behind you, do you know what I mean? So then, and then the they could get us support that? slots. Yeah, so K- we didn't, K- we didn't know what to that. sign us for like a year after that. So yeah. you're just opening so, gigs, getting yeah, so we were getting good great, bands. So we, where we're playing in the summer, yeah. Castlefield Bowl, we opened it for a band called James. I don't know if you know James. No. Do you do that? Um, oh, sit. sit down, oh, sit down. You, you might know some of the songs. The big, in, the big band in the yeah. UK in okay. Manchester. So they sold that out and we opened for them then. And that was like a massive gig for us. And then we got a booking agent at the same time as the management. So then they booked us on a tour at the end of the year and then we were just bang on the road from October. Uh-huh. And then releasing singles every like four months, hoping to get a record deal. And then we wrote Charlemagne and then the record label, who was like sniffing around, went, right, we'll do it now. We'll, we'll sign yeah, you. That, so that was, that was like the sealing deal. And then we went straight into the studio the week after because because we built up these foundations, we had everything in place. Like, we had mm. a producer, we had a fan base. We was already selling, like, 1,500 tickets in Manchester. So the label couldn't really change it, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so all they, we just needed them to press go and, and put us on posters and get us on the telly Get the machine behind thing. you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It worked. We wouldn't have, like, at the time, it felt a bit shit, you know, not getting signed so early. It was, like, a bit of a struggle, especially... Um, Financially, do you know what I mean? Because obviously, you yeah. need some, and we had to give up our jobs and stuff. Yeah. So we were all a bit just like, getting to a point where we we're like, how many times can you ask your mum for a ten pound? <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, yeah, yeah. And then we got a record there, and it was like, right, let's we can do it now. We don't have yeah, to worry. Exactly. And, and like I say, because we because that happened that way, we had we've got like full. Sort but, of yeah, but creative. I think it's a mixture of obviously good songwriting and like the the songs have got to be there ultimately. But then we did have great management and we got some great support slots, which is a great way to get exposure in it. Like if you support a big band. In, you're going to catch even if you catch 10% yeah, of their fans exactly. so and convert them. Did that and, and even, even finding five lads who all want the same thing and are all as driven as each other to get somewhere is so hard to find. Like, sure, you'll know, like, of Instead of dragging I mean, people along yeah, that don't exactly. really, kind of want to yeah, around. Yeah, one person's feel like, yeah, they're, they're, like they're not turning up to rehearsal because the girlfriend. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You need to just come. Well, yeah. anyway. um, I, well, one thing I want to get into is sort of like the UK music press seems to be pretty temperamental with like sort of new buzz bands or bands in general. It seems like it's a big thing in the UK where they really want to pump somebody up and then kind of almost immediately once you get a little too big, it's like yeah, they'll take yeah. you back down. Uh, what's your experience been like with the UK press? Do you know what? It's it's kind of like we've had a lot of nice things written about us as well, but you're still in the good spot. Yeah, but we yeah. haven't. I don't think we ever got hyped to the point where there was nothing to back it up. Like it That's took right. them 
for example, Enemy. They were like the big. Yeah, of course, we know Enemy. Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't write really write any big articles about us until we had a record deal. So you flew under the radar for a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, they have a thing called Under the Radar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they didn't put us on that until... Were <laughs> you really like, under the radar? Like band, like, so we were, like, play, we, they, we, we were never in Enemy, but there was, like, bands who were, like, supporting us who had, like, massive... Oh, big yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 we, we like, didn't have anything. We'd done the Ritz in Manchester, which was, like, 1,500, and they didn't cover it. They didn't, they didn't write a single word about it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, surely you should be on who's this band blowing up, but they weren't. And then, eventually... They did come around and write about us, but it was kind of it was too late for it to be like. Well, that's the sweet spot you want to be in because exactly. if you're elevated only by those guys, they ha- they hold the keys. But yeah. it, but if you're doing it organically and from the ground up, yeah. then so, they can't f- with you. Exactly. In the same way. exactly yeah. so. Well, it's kind of interesting. I feel like almost you know, like you mentioned, it took a while to get the record deal, and then sort of like the bigger magazines aren't paying attention. It seems to kind of like part of the story. Do you guys ever get discouraged? We're like, shit. How come this? You know, why why aren't they paying attention? Does it kind of inform the way you approach things? It, I think I think we were too confident in ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, no. we, we, like, I can't ever recall a situation where we ever sat down for, oh, God, are we, like, mental thinking this? Like, I think we were just so focused on just what we were doing and musically what we were doing. We had good people around us yeah. as well, like the booking agent, Box Arctic Monkeys, and he really believed in us, and it was like, we knew we had, like, the best booking agent. And then we, our manager was, a, he's, like, more than a manager, do you know what I mean? His yeah. ideas and the way he was and how passionate he was. So we kind of just lived in our own little bubble, bubble, just thinking everyone else will, will eventually clock onto it. They'll find and us. And they did. Yeah, so, yeah. thank God. Um, I guess functionally, what did you find that it was different between the first weekend and this weekend as far as, you know, performing? Um, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit mind-blowing, this whole festival for us. Like, was that, there any lessons learned, though, where you go, we tried this week one and maybe we'll switch up the song order? And- <laughs> well, do you know what? Me and Tom were having a shower last week just before it. And we were in like cubicles next to each other. And then I was thinking maybe we should drop in because we have a song called Favorite Room where it's just Tom and the Acoustic. And it's a bit stripped back and it's a bit more crowded. And I was thinking, why we should drop that in rather than like, and then it just sort of breaks up the set a little bit and like puts a little dive in. Especially like no one really was going to be jumping around or especially at like one o'clock and like 37 degrees. Do you know what I mean? Everyone's just going to want to sit back and half the people are just sitting at the back listening and enjoying it. So I was like, maybe we should put something like that in. We played it last week, so then we knew this week, yeah, we'll play that one again. Roll it out again. Yeah, so... Yeah, it just made me more comfortable because we just know how it works, just a bit more chilled. Yeah. Yeah. Felt chilled. I guess lastly, when you guys are watching other bands perform at a festival like this, are you guys able to sort of watch as fans and be like, oh, cool, or are you sort of always taking notes and going, I like that trick, or we should try something like that? I don't don't think I've watched a gig and, like, enjoyed it as a fan for ages, no. Yeah. Because you just can't help it. You're either thinking, oh, I want a gig now, or you just stare, I'm... Me personally, just staring at a drummer, just like, oh, what's he doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't, I can't just like forget about it all now. It's almost like business. It's yeah, hard to go it's, back. It's to like that. Tom, yeah, Tom's he, into filmmaking, and he says it when he watches a film. Now he's like, oh, I've done that shot. Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you, you just know it's all been set up. It's the same way when you're watching a band, I suppose, don't it? You start picking it apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just like, oh, I like that, or you don't just go, you don't just take it in for what it is. Do you think there's a band out there for either of you that you could still watch as a fan? Do you want know Stone Roses? Yeah, or Oasis. Oasis. Do you think Liam yeah. and Noel will ever get back together? Maybe one uh, day. I yeah. hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. We're massive fans. Yeah, me too. Well, so, thanks be... for your time, guys. No, no thanks, thanks for yeah, Appreciate thanks. it. This is awesome. Oh, 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 shit. Our social media guy has a question. Shit. Well, this is kind of just off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm a little nervous now. But I was wondering, uh, how cool is it to be at Coachella? Not cool, because it's fucking really hot. <laughs> <laughs> we, another band said that before, too. But it's, it's cool in a British cool sense. Yeah, cool. Right. Yeah. We, we talked to Glass yeah. Animals. He had the same uh, answer. Yeah. But seriously, guys, uh, do you th- think it is cool to be playing? Yeah, totally. Towards, it's like an, 
the US Glastonbury sort yeah. of thing. It's like prestigious, isn't it? And it's just cool. It's deemed as like a cool festival. It's, it's, a bit, it's more, like, so it, like I said before, it's a bit Everyone mind-blowing. in the VIP area looks famous, don't they? You're like, who's that? Yeah, yeah. We had a lot of celebrity yeah. gawking yeah. last yeah. weekend. Yeah, and it's just like the, like, the, the colour of people here are just all beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like, not worthy. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone's walking about. You guys look like, amazing. We, we've just been, our Kells have just been admiring your, uh, oh, your style. Like, every, we, we've been so boring on this tour, though, haven't we? I don't know. Us too. We're, we're, we're notoriously boring. We've had jet lag, I think. So it's been like, every night we've been like, yeah, we'll go for a drink. Then after I said, well, oh. <laughs> yeah, that bug is looking yeah, pretty good right now. It's been a shame, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, guys. No, thank you very much. Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the show, The Dessert, where we have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, come on and tell us what's what. Shane, what's going on? So uh, we went to Coachella. It's a fact. <laughs> uh, for people just tuning in now. And, you know, it, it was, I won't lie, like I was really worried about this trip for no other reason than, in case people don't know, when we do this pod, we usually have a week gestational period where we send it to people like a little sample group to see what's offensive, what should we take out, what's boring, <laughs> what's not working. Right. And normally a lot of stuff I say gets removed. But even Max has been in a situation where it was like, oh, better take that out and come back and re-record a part. Just because, you know, it's 2017, we have to be hypersensitive and sometimes things come out wrong and we have to redo them. So I'm... On this trip, I was trying to be hypercognizant of the fact that it's on the fly. We don't have our normal safety net of approvers and people telling us. And you, Mike, were just going to edit it, and it was just going to go to ad- to air as is, pretty much. We were correct? flying live, basically. I was really trying, uh, and, and this did backfire. I was trying to be as PC as possible when we were talking. Uh, you did edit little chunks out. But then it came to a point where Max had suggested I do a bit on my own. <laughs> That's you're blaming it on me now. <laughs> well, no, it's it's clearly my fault. But originally, your idea was uh, make fun of pe- pe- <laughs> me. Like I, 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 I like doing streeter stuff, but it, it is hard because if you streeter really, interviews are you know when you like go man on the street stuff. Man on the street. You, it's basically typically the gag is you're kind of making fun of the person unbeknownst to them in a clever way <laughs> with little quips. So when you wanted me to make fun of Coachella people in their ridiculous outfits, I was a little hesitant. I'm like, I'm going to specialty, man. I know, but I'm going to come off bad. Someone's going to get offended. They're going to think I'm an ass. So I started writing a little bit where I would make fun of someone's outfit, uh-huh. but I'd give them a line to make fun of me back. Uh, cool. and that then, was a good idea. Why don't we do that? Well, then when I was out there, the, there's always a band playing at Coachella. That's yeah, the problem. Okay. So it's <laughs> it's so for some people that's the reason they go. It's so loud you can't really communicate. It's like what? But I, I thought it was a pretty good bit, and then it would be a self-deprecating bit yeah. and get away with it. But then you had an, another idea, Max. Uh, <laughs> this is the one that got me in trouble, which is uh, let's talk to a uh, internet celebrity. Because there's a lot of internet celebrities around. I, I originally said it would be interesting even for Mike to interview them to ask, but like, okay, so you have like 100,000 followers on Instagram. What's it like, you know, dealing with your sponsors and like how do you pose for like these weird pictures with your watches and stuff like that? How does like, this job work? Yeah, how does your job work? Is it, That's actually the angle I was going for. I honestly, my, then I thought, what's a good angle? And I remember I did an interview with you where I kind of play this, character that's kind of like a buffoon interviewer uh-huh. and i you remember can find that online somewhere 
Yeah, and it, it and it's basically like I ask you a bunch of stupid questions, and I have the the routine kind of set up in my head, and I do it, and you're kind of unsuspecting, but playing a character because you knew it wasn't my real personality. Yeah, and I don't know, guys in your band really like that. Like I think Nick from your band said it was his favorite interview you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> he did say that, right? I believe it. Yeah. So I get kind of pumped to to do this now. I'm excited, and I wrote. About 50 questions. I, uh, we had our friend Matt Unsworth down there. He's, uh, he's a comedy writer, and Sean Dawson's very funny, and even The Nut were, were helping me whittle my 50 questions down to 10 questions. You were really preparing for it a lot. Like, you didn't, like, go out the night before. You well, woke up I, early I did, the next morning. I, I did. Like, Shaney's in his room working on the questions. I'm like, what the hell? I did go out, but, <laughs> but I was working on the bit while I was out. The whole time I was thinking of it. And then I did wake up early. I woke up at 8. The interview with Melissa Merck was at noon. She was coming to our Airbnb at this like beautiful. And explain who Melissa Merck is. Melissa Merck is an attractive Instagram celebrity. She has like ninety thousand followers. She's a YouTube personality, also. So um, I basically I woke up at eight. The interviews at noon, and I just practiced. Like I, I memorized this whole routine. I practiced it in the mirror over and over again. My character. I liked my hair looked all disheveled. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna play it like I'm kind of like sleazy. I'm gonna open a button of my shirt, and I, I kind of wanted the vibe to be like Zach Galifianakis in between two ferns, yeah. mixed with like you know Conan when he has like a a lot of. Late night talk show hosts do this. When there's like a really attractive woman on a talk show, like Conan's like, I don't know. And he does that like noise. He used to do it with Rebecca Romaine all the time. Yeah, I was like, take my wife, you know, take her. And it's always like jokes (laughs) like, you know, my wife doesn't know I'm with you. And there's jokes like that. And it's always cutesy. And he gets away with it. And it's a big hit. (laughs) We see where this story's going. Yeah. So inexplicably, I, I thought it would be a good idea if I'm playing this sleazeball role, like where I'm like, hey, we're here with Melissa Merck, and she's got 90,000 followers, but hello, after today, make it 90,001. <laughs> and it's all gags like that, right? Yeah. And then it was going kind of well. Like, it, it was in a pocket where I could probably get away with it, but then I decided to take my wedding ring off <laughs> and throw it in the pool, <laughs> like, to show, like, and I asked her what would happen if I slid in her DMs. <laughs> <laughs> but in my mind, I'm like, this is such a character. Like, pe- obviously, people would know I would never do that. But maybe, may- maybe they don't know that. Apparently, well, if you were to do it, you wouldn't do it on camera. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so and, <laughs> you're not I'm a guy. I do it behind closed doors where no one will ever know. <laughs> and I say bro code. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but. And, and, you know, at the end of the bit, I was like, at the end, Melissa, we dance. And I stand up and I start dancing. Again, that's a, a, a tip of the hat to Conan for when he was on The Simpsons. He's like, now I dance. And he just stands and dances, right? So I'm hugely inspired by Conan here. And I'm thinking I'm playing it off just as well as he does. We do the dance thing. And she walks off. And I have a feeling in the pit of my stomach that it just went weird. Like, I, my character wasn't right. I played it kind of almost like too drunk and nervous, and I wanted to be more, like, confident sleazy. But I, I just played it a little awkward. And no one's really saying anything. Then we go to Coachella, and Nut's like, I want to see this bit. And the Nut is notorious for ripping me apart when something's even mildly bad. He'll just tell me, you're horribly unfunny. This is brutal. This sucks. So I really don't want him to see it. <laughs> but Mike throws it on. 
And first joke, Nut is cracking up. Then Mike's howling. Then Sean Dawson. Everyone is laughing like this is the best bit of all time. <laughs> and Mike's like, oh, man, like people, people are going to love this. People are going to go crazy. He's like, you're going to get like other jobs because of this. I'm like, I am? I mean, I am. Like, <laughs> I start feeling very good about this bit all of a sudden. I get cocky. I start cracking beers like I'm like. Going viral or something. <laughs> you had the proof of four yeah. of your friends. But then I'm like, oh, in the morning, it's not going to be like this. The people aren't going to be like, it was three in the morning when people were watching this and they're kind of drunk. So, <laughs> so I go, not, don't watch it again. I want to remember this like this. He goes, oh, I'm watching it in the morning. <laughs> so I'm in the shower and then the nuts like Shane, just watch the video again. I'm like, oh no. He's like, it's a hit. <laughs> So I'm like, okay, now I'm getting very excited because I've got the nuts approval, everything. I'm like, Mike, send me that video. I'm putting it on Facebook just to, like, start the ball rolling to get viral. Get those hits. <laughs> and then uh, I put it up, and then I got a very upset phone call from uh, my wife <laughs> shortly after. And then I'm, like, thinking about it. I'm like, okay. Oh, so what, what was her complaint? The, the ring being tossed. And <laughs> I did a bit like this in Hawaii where I took my ring off and I, I made a joke about how women keep hitting on me, but I'm a happily married man. And I kept lining up uh, glasses of alcohol. And as the alcohol went down in the glass, my ring would get further and further away from me. <laughs> <laughs> the bit killed. It honestly did. People were loving it. But she warned me, don't do any more wedding ring humor while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> she had one request. Yeah. So she was very upset, and then I started panicking. I'm like, wow, everyone in her family follows me on Facebook. My parents follow me on Facebook now. They, they just, you know, I got married recently, so that's when all the parents are like, we just want to look at your wedding photos. So everyone's adding me to Facebook who I do not want on Facebook. You, you know, because I'm honestly, I'm not like this character. I'm a very, like, in real life, I'm a quiet, like, overly antisocial guy i'm not this like alice called me lecherous in the thing like i'm not this like like hitting i don't talk to people i don't talk to women in real life so this was just purely for the character you know what i mean yes like am i lying like no, i may no. i maybe say 50 words a day honestly 100 percent. so then i for the sake of this pod i start writing a uh which i thought would be funny like a like a letter to the press, kind of like a press release to cover me. <laughs> Wait, so because your wife was offended and you feel like her yeah, family, and I your felt family, bad, and it. I'm honestly upset by this. This I'm, is your mea culpa. I'm embarrassed too. But do you think that the bit was good? Here's the thing: I'm proud of it, but I also acknowledge my humor isn't like everyone's. And if someone's hurt by a bit, of it's not good. So as I'm writing this, I get this message from one of my wife's. Friends, literally, as I'm mid-typing it, listen to this. It's on my. It's on publicly on my Instagram. I don't get it. Is this interview supposed to be funny? It really comes off as offensive to both your wife and the woman you are interviewing. You come off as a lost, hungover, thirty-plus-year-old puppy who can barely contain his boner. Parts of that's true, but oh yeah, <laughs> super lame at Shaney Boy. So. Now my little press release is taking on a whole new meaning. It's more serious than ever. So, yeah, I just said uh, what I said to her. I said, hey, Justine, this wasn't real, just a skit. My intention was for it to be funny, but comedy is subjective. And admittedly, this isn't the most accessible thing 
accessible thing I've done, so I don't blame you for thinking you missed the mark. And it's true. Like pretty good response. Good comedy, you know, is polarizing. And like like that Heineken ad, you know, I I liken it. It's very similar to that. Not in success, <laughs> as it this only has two hundred views, and it's probably upset more people. <laughs> but uh, should gonna, I read the press release? Let, let's read. You it. know what? Read the press release. Let's uh, let's get some closure on this because you know you don't want anyone to feel bad. Whew. Okay, hello, b- hello, everyone. Before you start, could you suppress your boner? <laughs> this thing won't go down. <laughs> I'm 30 plus, man. I'm just lucky it's up. Uh, okay. I would like it to be known that the character of Shane, who interviewed YouTube personality Melissa Merck in the skit titled Shane's Digital Dessert in the Desert, which was posted on YouTube April 24th, 2017, was a fictional one. I'm aware that some people were offended by this character's behaviors and actions, in particular when the character hurled his wedding ring into the pool to suggest that he does not value the sanctity of marriage. The bizarre nature of this extreme action was supposed to be considered humorous and in no way misconstrued as a real event taking place in the real world. In real life, I consider this behavior totally unacceptable and would be mortified to witness anyone behaving this way out of the confines of a fictional skit or film. I'm embarrassed to admit that although I did receive writing help with some, with some of the stronger jokes, the portion of the skit where the character of Shane was hitting on Melissa Merck was solely my idea and subsequently was the least amusing portions, and in hindsight, totally unnecessary to the piece. I would like to apologize to my wife, her family, women everywhere, men everywhere, and Melissa Merck, who I consider a platonic friend and much too young for me. Haha, <laughs> just kidding, yours truly, Shane Cunningham. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for listening to Coachella Part 1. Next week, we'll have Coachella Part 2 with Bishop Briggs, who's returning. Glass Animals. And Elliot Lefko. Who runs the damn festival. Runs the damn Coachella Festival. Uh, you can find Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter at Mike on Much. Big thank you to Jenna Gregory at Jenna's Doodles for providing the artwork for the show. Huge thank you to Dan Carruthers, Chris and Nicholas, who helped get us down at Coachella and was uh, just generally helps in all facets of the show. Justin Stockman, Mike McShane. Top man, thank you so much for hooking us up. Woo. And uh, everyone needs to forgive Shane. He was playing a character. I love my wife. <laughs> the Mike and Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.